will take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. chapter 2, we'll be looking at those verses that were read earlier. If you need a copy of God's Word to read along with us, uh, take one from the view back there and turn to page 1014. Read along with us as we study God's Word. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray for our hearts and our minds this morning as we hear God's Word. Father, we, uh, we thank You for Your Word today that through your word, you have revealed yourself to us. You have revealed to us that we are lost because of our sin. We are destined to eternal destruction, separation from a holy God today. But God, you have also revealed to us that there is salvation from that eternal destruction, from that place called hell. And that deliverance comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. God, Your Word is precious to us. God, because without it, we wouldn't know our condition. And we wouldn't know the solution to our condition today. God, through Your Word, we learn of mercy and grace. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And I pray today as we study it that, um, God, by Your grace, You'll help us to obey it. You'll help us to to hear Your Word. God, as the Word will call us to do today, to long for the Word. God, I pray for grace that cause us to desire, to crave, to hunger the Word of God. Not that we have to be Bible scholars, that we want to know more of our Savior. Because the more we know Him, the more we will love Him. And the more we love Him, the more we will obey Him. So God, help us as we study today. We need your help. So we pray for it now. It's in Christ's name we ask these things. Amen. Over the last several weeks, even months, uh, I've once again been reminded how much a baby can crave milk. Uh, They can wail at the top of their lungs, demanding to be fed when they're hungry, right? You notice I said wail. They have no problem letting you know they're hungry. Babies need milk every few hours, right? Day and night. Moms and dads know that they don't care if it's three in the morning. Just get up and get me some milk. Or even if you're trying to eat yourself, if you're trying to do some other things, they, they don't really care, right? They want the milk. Eating for a baby is something that never becomes boring. They have a hunger for food. They're not content until they get that food. They will not be quiet until you get them that food. This craving for milk, what we fail to realize, is a display of growth. It's a display of a healthy, growing baby. When that baby's crying, wanting milk, we just think, let's hurry up and get this done so they'll they'll be quiet. We, We miss the fact that this is a sign of indication of a healthy baby that's growing, that's desiring that milk. It's the same way for a born-again Christian when it comes to the Word of God. Peter's telling us that once we've tasted the goodness of God and His gospel, we should long for more of that. This longing is what fuels or what continues our growing in Christ. Just like when the baby longs for that milk, it's a sign of growth for him. If you're looking at your handout, you see that the main idea 
is that we must have God's Word in order to grow in our salvation. I think that's pretty simple. That's what Peter is going to tell us here, that we, we've got to have God's Word in order to grow in our salvation, in order to mature, to become uh, a healthy Christian. There has to be a desire, there has to be a longing for the Word of God. So if you're looking at your handout there, verse 1 tells us we're to put away the sin that hinders. Now this putting away of sin, uh, you'll see as we go through here, hinders two things. He says in verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Notice that verse 1 begins with the word so. Some of you have translations that use the word therefore. This indicates that what is about to be said in verse 1 is based on what was said prior to it in chapter 1. And what was that? Well, if you look at verse 22, it states that a believer's soul has been purified by doing what? Obeying the Word of God. And then verse 23 states that a believer has been born again by God. How? Through the Word of God. And God's Word is imperishable, verse 23, and it's living and active, as it says in verse 23. And God's Word is not like grass. It's not like flowers that die, but it endures forever. So because a believer, previously in verse 1, his soul has been purified by the Word, and because God's Word should be reflected in his life as a result of that, in other words, what your life should look like if you've had your soul purified by the Word and you've been born again, because of that, you are to what? Put away these things. Now, I want to clarify something here. Uh, we've talked about this when we went through First John about uh, Christians sinning, that we're going to sin and things are going to happen in our life. It's not that these sins will never surface again in a Christian's life, but the point here is that they shouldn't be a pattern. They shouldn't be something that's consistent in our life. I think we understand that from studying 1 John, right? We're going to do these things periodically, but they shouldn't be a consistent, normal way of our living. Notice what he says there. Peter says, you've been born again by the Word, so therefore these things should be, you should put away these sins in your life because the Word has purified your life. He says, put away these things. It has the idea of removing um, or laying aside or throwing off dirty clothes. That's what this word was used for. It's like taking dirty clothes and getting rid of those. These sins, Peter says, were they were baggage from your past life before you come to know Christ. They're sins that were part of your life before you were born again. Notice that they are to be, how they're to be put away, that we are to put away all. Notice that word shows up three times. The idea is totality. Get rid of these things and put these things away. You know, sometimes we have we, we understand putting away sin, but what do we like to do a lot of times? We like to hold on to a few of those things and keep those things back. And Peter says, no, we're to put away all these things. The idea is for a Christian to strip off and he's to lay aside the sinfulness of his former life a way that hinders growing as a Christian. These things hinder you from growing and maturing as a Christian. Peter says that these sins are in opposition to growing as a Christian. And they must be discarded like dirty clothes. Put these things off. Now, a lot of us in this room are familiar with this idea of getting rid of dirty clothes, right? Especially you guys who farm, you come home each day, you know to get rid of those things and put them in a certain place. You're, you put those things off. Just uh, a few weeks ago or a few months ago, uh, I was down here at the church with uh, uh, Rex and we were cleaning some... Uh, Undergrowth back here, cutting some limbs off some trees, and you know, there was briars and there was everything else. And then I was going like a madman, had gloves on. And Rex says, "Look out! There's a poison oak in there, or poison ivy." And I 
that just sends terror and fear in me. I just about panic. It's like, because when I get it, I get it. It's not just a little bit. I mean, it eats me alive. And I'm thinking, it's on my clothes. It's in my hair. And, you know, I begin to itch. And I had, you know, just, <laughs> someone telling me it was there, I began to itch and begin to think about the next few days, what I was going to look like if it got in my eyes or my ears. And, you know, I preach on Sunday and I stand in front of everybody and I'll have it all over me. What's, what's it going to look like? And, and I remember Jeff telling me that one time he got poison oak on his clothes and he went home and Tracy handled the clothes and she got poison oak. And I, so when I get home, I'm thinking, if my wife gets poison oak, I am dead. <laughs> so, you know, I take those and I throw those. I'm, I'm walking through the house like this from the door to the, and I get to the washing machine and I begin to wash those clothes. You know, I was putting that stuff off. I was getting rid of it. It was, a, it, was, it was dirty. And that's the idea that Peter's saying here. Treat these things like it was poison ivy. Get rid of those things and put those things off. And what we need to do, we need to remember there's a connection here with the verses in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Peter tells the reader to put away all sins that are harmful to Christian love. That's what he told us to do in those verses we, we, we studied a few weeks ago. He says in verse 22, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Each of these sins affects the church. They affect us individuals, right? But they affect us more importantly, corporately as a church. They're, they're aimed at harming other people and they're the very opposite of loving one another. He, remember, he told us we are to love one another fervently. Then he goes right into, you've got to put these things off. They hinder your growth but they also hinder loving one another fervently as brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to look at each one of these quickly. I'm not going to draw each one of them out, but I'm going to go through each one of these so we have a good understanding of what Peter's telling us to put off here. Now, anytime you read the Bible, we see these lists of sins, right? And we think, well, this must be exclusive. This must be all of them. And we, and we understand that that can't be the case. So Peter is not naming every sin here, but he picks these for a particular reason. Maybe because in this particular congregation, they have a tendency of showing up and being prominent there. But look at these. Look at each of these sins that Peter commands the Christian to put away. Peter says, put away malice. Malice is a desire to hurt someone with words or actions. It's a desire to do that. It's not just a word. It's a desire that we want to hurt someone with our words and our actions. Notice next he says, put away deceit. Some of your translations use the word guile from Georgia, guile. It's a desire to gain an advantage or maintain some position by deceiving other people. You're wanting to obtain or gain an advantage and you're going to deceive other people to do that. Now the next one, we I think we understand that word, right? Hypocrisy. We, we, we hear that word and we automatically, uh, the definition comes. So hypocrisy in generality is pretending to be what you are not. Would we all agree with that? It's pretending to be something you're not. Rejecting a false image to people. And here, in this particular point, hypocrisy is that which deceives other believers. There's a difference, right? We deceive non-believers a lot of times as Christians, but it's talking about here us deceiving other believers. Something that hinders that brotherly love. I'm going to give you a couple examples because we could go for several minutes here by giving examples. I'm just going to give you a couple of how this hypocrisy kind of surfaces in the lives of Christians. Number one, uh, being inconsistent between how we act at church and how we might act at home or on our job, right? We act one way here with believers, and then we get to work, and there are other believers, or we get to school or somewhere else in the community, and there's other believers around, and we act 
another way, right? We act this way here, and then when we get somewhere else, we're totally different. Another thing is telling the church we love them, right? But failing to gather with them in worship. You know, that always causes me a problem. People tell me they love me, but they won't gather with me to worship. Now, I know that there's times I kind of, uh, as the old saying goes, beat a dead horse. I don't want to be legalistic about coming to church, but the Bible is pretty clear that we are not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. When you tell me, when you tell other believers you love them, part of loving them is being here with them to worship with them, to encourage them and to edify them in the gospel. Notice next, he says to put away envy. That's a desire for something that belongs to someone else. We, we envy what other people have. And sometimes this envy becomes bitterness or resentment that someone has something and we don't, right? We can envy on the surface, but a lot of times that becomes bitterness and we can do that toward one another. Next he says, slander. Put that away. The desire for revenge or self-improvement. Slander. We, now listen, this can even happen when the information that we're passing along is true. We can do it falsely, but we can also pass along information that's true and slander a brother and a sister in Christ. This is often done because of a, a deep desire to direct attention away from us. We want to hide our problems so we point out other people's problems. We, we slander them. And, and Peter's saying we need to put these things away. We put these away like dirty, filthy clothing. Like those clothes, and when we've worked in the yard, and they've got poison ivy or poison oak on them, we want to put those things away. Instead, the believers, the church, we must be known, as it said in chapter 1, for brotherly love. This sets the church apart from the world, and it brings glory to God. That's what Peter's saying. However, uh, most churches, or many churches, and I'm not picking on us as a congregation, I'm just saying the church as a whole suffer because its members don't put aside these sins that threaten brotherly love. And that's what Peter's pointing out to us here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. You'll just turn a page in your Bible there to chapter 4, verse 8. Peter says, above all. Very important there. He says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Put these things off. Put off these things that... Keep us from loving one another fervently because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter says that we're to put away, we're to put off those ungodly ways of relating to each other, which means that we're both responsible. And listen, because you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living in you, you are able to do these things, right? You ever had someone say, well, that's just the way I am? Really? You want to use that line as a Christian? I've had people tell me, that's the way I am. You just need to get in line and go along with it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says because of Christ living in us, we're able to put these things away. Put away these things is a matter of obedience. We have problems obeying. You don't need years of counseling to stop these things. You don't need to go to counseling for days and days and weeks and years and years to put these things away. Peter says you're able to do these things because you have been born again, because your soul has been purified by the Word of God. These are things that were evident in your life before you become a Christian, but now as a follower of Christ, you're to put away these things in the past. So what kind of application do we make of this? Here's what I would say to you. If these sins describe your actions towards someone... 
in your church family or even other Christians outside this community of believers? What's the command? Put them away. And the way we do that, and I know this sounds simple, is to confess those sins and repent of them. You're saying, really? Is it that simple? That's what the Bible calls us to do. And the problem the problem is why we can't put them away a lot of times is because we don't confess them to God and we don't repent and we don't turn from those sins. The Spirit of God living within us enables us to do those things. So simply confessing and repenting of those sins and putting those sins away is what we're called to do. These actions toward fellow believers, they can be a disease and they can destroy love and unity in a local church. Maybe it may even be what you need to do is this, to this extent. You may need to go to someone and confess your sin to that person and ask them for forgiveness. That's hard to do, is it not? That can be very hard to do, but that's what the Bible calls us to do. As well, another point of the application is this. The next time someone frustrates you, and guess what? It's going to happen, right? The next time someone frustrates you, your response shouldn't be to have hostility toward them or slander them behind their back, the Bible's solution is to love them fervently from the heart. Right? A lot of times when people frustrate us, we want to get what? We want to get even. i got to get myself back to square. I'm going to get ahead. A lot of times we do enough to get ahead so that they do it to us again. We're ahead of them and get seeking revenge. We want to love them fervently from the heart. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These verses are very familiar to us. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And verse 8 says, Love never ends. Most of the time we hear those verses read where? At a wedding. I think it's appropriate to do that. But this is the way we're to love one another. Peter's calling us to put away these things that would keep us from growing in our love toward one another and also growing spiritually as a Christian. So if you're looking on your handout, we're going to move to verses 2 and 3 here. These things in verse 1 hinder spiritual growth and they hinder our love. We're told not to do these things because they they hinder us. They keep us from being who we're supposed to be in Christ. Instead, we're to long for that which promotes spiritual growth and Christian love. Put these things away. They hinder our love for one another. Instead, do this, verses 2 and 3. Long for the Word in order to grow. Like newborn infants, Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. What is it we're to long for? The pure spiritual milk. Some of you have translations that read the sincere milk of the Word. Desire the pure milk of the Word. The milk here is referring to what? Church? The Word of God. Referring to the Bible. That's what that is referring to. The pure spiritual milk is the Word of God. See, there's a connection between this verse and verse 23 of chapter 1. Since you've been born again by the Word of God, now long for the Word. Do you see that? You've been born again by this Word. Now you are to long for it. You were born again. Long for the milk of the Word. If you began your life with the Word, then you sustain your life with the Word, right? Babies don't get one bottle on day one and then push it away and never get another bottle, right? They long for that. They desire for that. Peter says the Christian is to long for spiritual milk. The Word of God. 
Notice it says there, a Christian is to long for it. It has the idea of yearning for something, desiring something, craving something. Notice that Peter compares the way a believer should long for the Word to what? What does he compare longing for the Word to? What does he compare that to like a what? A baby longing for milk. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. Now, I've already made this point, but a newborn baby is persistent. and He's very determined when he wants that Bible, right? We have no doubts as to what he's wanting. Now let me tell you this. This is the only time in the Bible, listen, this is the only time in the Bible where a Christian is allowed to act like a baby. You're allowed to act like a baby when it comes to the Word of God and no other time. All believers should be like newborn babies when it comes to designing the Word of God. Notice that Peter uses another word to describe this milk. He says it's pure. It has the idea of uncontaminated, untouched, unstained by the filth of the world. This tells us the Word of God will not trick us. It won't deceive us. It's trustworthy in every way. And what it affirms is absolutely true in everything it addresses. Now, I, I realize, and I want to clarify here, that there are other passages of Scripture, particularly 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 5, where milk is contrasted with solid food for Christians, right? In those passages, it tells us to do what? Get off the milk and start eating what? In our, to help us better understand meat and potatoes, right? Get off the milk and get on the meat and potatoes. After a while, a baby will get off the bottle, right? He'll be wanting some solid food. But that's not the case here. Here in chapter 2, verse 3, milk doesn't suggest that a Christian only need simple, basic teaching. That's not what it's talking about. And how do I know that? Well, look again at verse 2. It says, Long for the Word, that by it you may what? Grow up into salvation. The purpose of longing for the milk of the Word is for growing in the Christian life. Longing for the Word is so you will grow up and be a mature, born-again believer. Just like that newborn baby, he not only longs for the milk, but he needs that milk in order to what? To grow. To give him his nourishment. The word grow here is actually... Let me give you your grammar lesson for the week. It's actually in the passive voice. You don't grow yourself spiritually, but God grows you spiritually. The Holy Spirit grows us spiritually. And what does the Holy Spirit use to grow us spiritually? He uses the Word of God. It's the pure milk of the Word. So, notice it says, so that by it you may grow up. What's the logical conclusion? The other side of the coin. If you don't desire or long for the Word, you're going to be a what? A baby Christian all of your life. You'll never grow. You'll never mature. You're not mature as a Christian if the Word of God is not a consistent part of your diet, your spiritual diet. Look one last time at verse 2. That by it you may grow up into salvation. You see those two words there? Into salvation? That phrase is making evident what kind of growth we're talking about. It's growing to be a mature Christian. Do you get the... The idea here from this passage that God not only saves us by the Word, but He wants to do something else in our life. The intention is that we not stay where we are, but we grow and we mature. Now, I also want to clarify that I'm not talking about, the Bible's not talking about everyone becoming what? A Bible scholar. 
going to seminary and studying and reading all these books and filling your head with all this knowledge and becoming... Supposedly you have a master of divinity. I haven't figured that out yet. Why they would say you're a master of something like that. You've not mastered the Bible, but even a Sunday school teacher is not calling you to be a person who studies to be a Sunday school teacher, but it's calling everyone to study the Word of God and mature and grow. Peter makes it clear that the Word of God was the means to save us. It's the means to growing you spiritually. Your faith will stay stagnant. You will not grow if you're not in the Word of God. Reading and studying and applying the Word of God. If you want to grow spiritually and not stay a baby, it's necessary to read and study the Word of God. Now, what do I mean by reading and studying? I just told you, you didn't have to go to seminary, you didn't have to be a Sunday school teacher, but every Christian is called to long for the Word. And here's what longing means. It means to meditate on the Word. I was having a conversation with some of you the other day, and that was the topic we were talking about. We read the Bible, but we never stop to do what? Meditate. To memorize, to store those truths up in our heart. Immaturity, being a baby Christian, is because of ignoring the Word. Immature Christians are those who are indifferent to the things of God. They're indifferent to obeying God. Now let me give you some things here as a means of application. This will take up the majority of the time that's left. There's a very good reason why the church looks so much like the world. You've heard that statement, right? The church looks so much like the world. I think it's because we know as we know as by the much of the word as the world does. That's why we look like them. So I'm going to give you some ways here. And I want you to ask yourself if the following are ways in which you read the Bible. Alright? Are these ways in which I read the Bible? Okay? By the way, I'm tricking you. The following are ways that you should not read the Bible. Okay, but are these ways? Are these some ways that you read the Bible occasionally? On again, off again, right? This way of reading the Bible will not cause you to grow. Babies don't eat again, off again, and on again, right? Continuously longing, desire. Your eating habits are not like this, right? No, especially during Christmas, they wouldn't eat today and skip a few days. It was eat all day today and what are we going to have tomorrow? You would never think of eating just every other day or once a week, right? Why would you do this with what nourishes your soul? Why would you do that with this? You would never do it with your physical life. Practical application. In order to be in the Word, you must be disciplined and you must set yourself up a schedule. You're thinking, I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll start reading the Bible without having a plan. Guess what's going to happen tomorrow? You ain't going to read the Bible. You've got to have a scheduled time and a plan to read the Bible. If you don't plan to read, you're not going to read. Number two, is this another way you read the Bible? Shadow reading. You read your chapter for the day, but did that a chapter affect your life? And here's the idea. It's... Quality and not quantity that counts. Now again, we have these plans for reading through the Bible in a year. That's a good thing. I, I don't want to dismiss that. But those things, you know as well as I do, right? You've ever done that? What is your goal? i got to get a check mark in that box. Or i got this app on my phone that helps me read through the Bible. i got to get in there and get those things marked 
off. And I read through them and I don't feel guilty when I check them off. You grow when your reading is intentional and when it's slow. You read prayerfully and you give sincere thought to what the text is actually saying. You meditate on it. Another way to ask yourself, do I read the Bible, is out of duty. This probably gets a lot of us. Longing for God's Word is not to be confused with, again, just getting my checkoff list done. You're to hunger for the Word. You're to long for the Word. If you're just checking things off, there's not a longing, there's not a desire there. So, some of you might be asking the question, what is it that brings this hunger? What is it that brings this desire? When we get to verse 3, I'll point that out to you. But one last thing. Do you read without praying? Do you read without praying? One thing that we should pray for is the Spirit's help to understand the Word of God. And can I tell you, as your pastor, week after week of preparing sermons, I have to guard myself from this. I sit down, man, I can begin the, the structure, I can begin the format of reading and writing and making diagrams and circling words and underlining this and writing it, and it becomes kind of mechanical when I realize that I haven't spent time with God praying and asking for His help. Paul prayed for the Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him and that the eyes of their heart might be in light. You ever thought about praying that for yourself? God, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read this passage today. I need you to open my eyes and enlighten my heart as I read this your word today. Psalm 119, verse 18 would be a good verse to memorize and pray to God when you read the Bible. It says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Praying and asking for God's help in reading the Bible. Does that sound kind of like, that sounds simple, right? But it's something we don't give a lot of thought to. This is God's Word. It's His mind. So who's better for us to pray to to help us to better understand it? And just a means of practical application here. And I kind of hesitated pointing this out to you. But I've come across a resource that has been valuable in my life in the last year of helping me read the Bible and meditate and think and ponder what I'm reading. And it's this little Bible right here. It's called the ESV New Testament Devotional Bible. Some of you in here, I've given you one of these. Walks you through a passage each day, and at the end it gives you a little bit of commentary. But at the end, what's very important, it gives you a section on how to pray that word into your life. And it's drastically changed my life. Now listen, I don't get any kickback from Crossway from promoting this devotional Bible. And by the way, it's cheap. Most of the time you can get it for about six fifty. Something that will give us structure and discipline. If I just get up one day and I don't have a plan, I don't have a course of action, I will not read the Bible. So if you want to know how to get one of these, you see me and I'll be glad to point you in the direction of how to get one of those. In verse 3, we have the reason we should long for the milk of the Word. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The word if here is a conditional statement. You could substitute the word since or because. Since or because you have tasted that the Lord is good. Long for the Word because you have experienced 
God. That word taste there means experience. You've experienced something. Something you've experienced personally. And what have we tasted or experienced? Notice what it says. Since you have experienced or you have tasted what? That the Lord is what? Good. God is good. You've experienced that. We know from experience that the Lord is good. And experience motivates. It drives us to want to know Him more through His Word. The way we know Him more is by reading His Word because the Word is the means by which God reveals Himself to us. Now, you're sitting here like me and you're thinking, what should I do if I don't hunger for God and His Word the way I should. That's going through your mind right now, right? You probably I've heard these verses. I, I know what's there, but what if I don't long, or what if I don't hunger for God and His Word? I think verse 3 is, a, is the overwhelming application of this. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, and you have, if you've been born again, you've experienced... God's grace and His mercy. Meditate on God's goodness and meditate on His mercy and His kindness toward you. You have tasted that. If you're a believer, here's the problem. You've just forgotten that. We assume that God's grace has always been there and we deserve that. We meditate on God's grace and His mercy. And we've experienced that. We've tasted that. So therefore, we want what? We want more of that. And He's telling us it comes through the Word. You hear me say this all the time, right? Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. Meditate and long. I'm here to tell you by experience. The more I meditate on the salvation I've experienced in Christ, and the more I meditate on the gospel and the mercy and the goodness of God, the more I long to read about my God through His Word. If you've experienced the kindness of the Lord, you should long for it. You should crave God's Word that you might know that grace and that mercy more. So let's finish this up. Peter has told the believer back in chapter 1, verse 13, to pursue holiness. He told him in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, to love one another fervently. And now he's telling the believer that they must respond to the crucial need of growth in their life by desiring God's Word. I'm going to answer that question another way. If you don't have a craving for God's Word, there could be several reasons you don't have that craving. Maybe you've never tasted the goodness of the Lord today. Maybe you're sitting here and you've never been saved. That would explain why you don't have a desire for the Word. You need to believe that Christ died for your sins, that He offers salvation to you as a free gift. Take that salvation. Experience that salvation today and begin feeding on God and His Word. You may not have a craving for God's Word because of sin in your life. Can I tell you from experience, as your pastor standing here, There have been times in my life when I didn't desire the Word of God because there was sin in my life. Again, the Bible simply tells us to confess and to put that sin away and get back to desiring God's Word. You may have ruined your appetite for the Bible by feeding on junk food. You don't sense a great need for God in His Word, maybe because you filled up your diet with junk food. Like, are you ready? Television, Facebook, uh, iPhone, iPad. You've seen that, right? You can't go anywhere anymore. Everybody's on something, right? You know they're on it, right? Because their face is glowing, the reflection from whatever they're looking at. 
lighten their, their face up. We fill our lives with junk food. Nothing wrong with TV, nothing wrong with Facebook, nothing wrong with iPhones and iPads, but that stuff fills our life up. Junk food makes you feel what? Full, but it doesn't nourish your soul, right? I tell people all the time, we'll eat chocolate cake at our house every day. If I let Debbie make chocolate cake, we'll eat chocolate cake for every meal. But i got to have food, I tell her. That's good. But you, you eat all the sweets, and I've realized during the holidays... When you eat that cake or that pecan pie or that banana pudding, man, that stuff's good, right? But what happens when that sugar begins to go away? What do you want? Give me another piece of that pie. Give me another piece of that cake. It wears off and you begin to fill yourself with that junk, but it doesn't never nourish your soul. I'll take ham and dressing, potato salad any day over dessert because that sticks to my ribs. It sticks to me and that's what the Word of God does. We fill our lives with junk. We feel full for a while but that stuff begins to fade away. Instead, hunger for God's truth. Drink it like a baby drinks milk. You've got to have it above all else if you want to grow in your salvation. None of us sitting here professing to be Christians wants to stay babies, right? I don't think nobody would ever say I want to stay a baby the rest of my life as a Christian. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, what we've heard today is uh, quite simple. But it can be very, very difficult for us to do because we fill our lives with so many other things that seem to satisfy us, but they don't last very long. And then we feel dull as Christians. God, what an appropriate way for us to end a year to exhort and to be encouraged as believers to grow by longing for Your Word. Again, a simple principle, but oh so hard to do. God, I pray for myself, I pray for us as a congregation that in this coming year that we'd have a desire and a longing, a craving and a hunger for Your Word. Not to know more than someone else, but that we might know our Redeemer better. That we might see Him and how good and how great He is today because we read His Word and we see Him. Because we read His Word and we see Him make promises. And time after time after time, He keeps those promises. Nothing thwarts the promises of God. When we read those things, we say, yes, that's my God. I long for Him. I want more of Him through His Word. So God, grow us today in our desire for the Word. Give us a longing for the Word today, Father. Help us to move away from being infants to being mature adults in Your Word. Again, God, give us a longing and desire for Your Word. Give us a longing and desire for the Gospel. Give us a longing and desire to proclaim that Gospel to others, Lord. Lord, to be good witnesses of the Gospel, we must be good readers and longers and yearners of God's Word. So help us today to have that desire. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.